0: Good morning again. Welcome to St. Paul's. We're so glad you're here, whether you're joining us online or in person. I would have paid a lot of money to be sitting in that Twitter board meeting when they decided to accept Elon Musk's offer. I would have paid a lot of money to sit in that meeting when Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill met in Iran to agree on their strategy to defeat Nazi Germany. I would have spent a lot of money to sit in on that anti-slavery meeting when Sojourner Truth delivered her Ain't I a Woman? speech. Historic meetings, to be sure, but they pale in significance to the epic meeting we heard Jayush read about this morning from Acts 15. If you're new today, we're at the tail end of reading the essential 100 passages from the Bible, seeing how God has acted throughout history and what that means for uh, how God's going to act now in Toronto and in our own lives. At Easter, we heard about the pivot point of all human history, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and how this event in turn created the most dynamic and adaptive, rooted and yet cross-cultural empire-defeating, equality-producing movement the world has ever seen, the Christian church. The church was born out of a ragtag group of first-century blue-collar workers, corrupt accountants, and wait for it, a few women. And this, the world's most underqualified people, were then given the world's largest assignment. Their assignment was to go into the whole world and tell people That God's purpose for their lives was unfolding in this dead man who was now alive. But because, you know, people are people, very quickly a disagreement bubbled up. And it's that disagreement and its eventual resolution that we're going to look at this morning. Because the Jerusalem Council is arguably the most important meeting of all time. There have been more important teachings, people, miracles, events, but a meeting, you know, where ideas are debated, minutes are taken, and a decisions handed down, this could be number one. This meeting is the only reason that any of us are here today, whether you're a disciple or a seeker. The only reason that racial divisions do not need to be inevitable. The only reason that unforgiveness and clinginess doesn't need to define our relationships. And the unsustainable burden of law-based religion does not need to control us. It's all because of that meeting. It's a long passage, so let me summarize. And if you want to have it open in front of you, in your pew Bible, it's page 134 at the back end, of course, on your phone. Uh, You might want to read it again tonight or in your connect group the entire book of acts written by the careful historian luke is a record of how these underqualified people were filled with the holy spirit the living and active presence of the risen jesus and were therefore able to tackle the world's biggest assignment so far things are going well thousands of people have become christians people are being physically healed the poor are being cared for And people of wealth are beginning to financially back this new movement. But they're victims of their own success because now Gentiles, non-Jews, were also beginning to join the Jesus movement. Verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the people, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The very first Christians were, of course, Jews. Raised on Old Testament law, with one of the most important being that every male be circumcised. A God-given sign to distinguish God's chosen people. And so they were teaching that these gentle converts needed to be circumcised first. Which was going to mean that a lot of the new member classes in the earliest churches were going to consist mostly of women just wait outside in the car, honey. Not sure if this church thing is for me. Paul and Barnabas, two of the most influential Jewish Christian leaders, were then asked to go down to head office, the church in Jerusalem, to get a formal decision on whether circumcision for Gentiles was necessary. We're told there was much debate at the meeting, which probably means a lot of yelling, and then blue-collar Peter stands up and he says this. This is just so important. In Acts 15, verses 8 to 11. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he's made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, Why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. There were 613 Jewish laws that were meant to be kept to honor the covenant, special relationship that God had made with the Jewish people. It's a mixture of ceremonial and dietary laws. No meat and dairy together. No yoga pants on men. And then there were the moral and ethical laws. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Circumcision for men was just one law. There were 612 others that you needed to follow and Peter was basically saying look, I don't know about you guys, but I've never felt like I was keeping them all and I was born a Jew. First I couldn't always keep them straight. How far again was I allowed to walk on the Sabbath and does turkey bacon count? Now how matter how hard I've tried, I never felt like I was measuring up. How about you John? How about you Martha? And if we who were born Jews could barely keep these laws, how can we project that onto the Gentiles? To put Peter's point into modern corporate speak. Gentlemen, this is an unsustainable model for strategic expansion. After Peter spoke, Paul and Barnabas stood up and told the council how God was doing amazing things amongst the Gentiles. And then James, who as the brother of Jesus was the leader of the Jerusalem church, he stands to give the verdict. And as an aside, the fact that James believed Jesus rose from the dead It is a key proof for the resurrection. And I'm not trying to be funny, but how much would it take to convince you that a sibling of yours was actually God in the flesh? James stands up and confirms that circumcision is not necessary for Gentiles to become Christians because God is already pouring out the Holy Spirit on them. But to ensure community harmony, the Gentile Christians were to avoid eating food sacrificed to Roman idols and meat from certain kinds of animals. This was particularly offensive to Jews. And that the entire Christian community, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, was to shun fornication, to live out the gift of sexual intimacy within marriage as a radical distinctive from the freewheeling Greco-Roman culture of the time, and still a radical distinctive of the Christian community today. Now, the implications of that Twitter board meeting remain to be seen. Nazism was defeated as one shape that evil takes, and the work of dismantling racist systems continues apace. But what are the implications from that epic meeting 2,000 years ago for us? A couple of things. First. There is important clarity about what the Christian message is. In my experience, what many people have rejected when they reject Christianity is not the gospel at all. It's usually some form of law-based religion, so I don't blame them. Law-based religion basically says, do these things, be this kind of person, then life will go well and God will love you. On the surface, this seems to encourage good behavior, And it's how most of our human relationships and our jobs function. We love the people who make us happy. Do your job properly. You'll get paid. All the world's major religions function like this. The five pillars of Islam, the eightfold Buddhist path, the 613 Jewish laws. Do these things and you'll be right with God. This is deeply ingrained in our culture, but it's fatally flawed. It is both practically and psychologically unsustainable, and Peter called it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not able to keep all these laws. We will be crushed under the weight of expectations, and will oscillate between guilt and anger when we're not measuring up, and then uh, arrogance and superiority during our brief moments of success. Law-based religion is the cause of all systems of exclusion and hate, discouragement and despair, and it is not the gospel that Jesus brings. Acts 15 clarifies that it's not anything that we do, circumcision in this case, that hitches our wagon to Jesus, that releases the power of the risen Jesus into our daily lives now. Did you or I do anything to make Easter morning happen? Law based religion says that we need to obey and do before we're loved and accepted. The gospel is that we're already loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. And it's because of that love that we do and obey. And it's a radically different kind of life because it's fueled by gratitude and not guilt. The Jerusalem Council realized that God was already pouring out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, and they hadn't been keeping the Jewish ceremonial laws. God's free, unmerited love, grace, freely given to us, but at great cost to Jesus. Grace is what hitches our wagon to His. Grace is what releases the power of the risen Jesus in our daily lives. Because Grace is freely given and not earned, we know that no one is superior. So we can humbly root out racial inequities in our communities. Because grace is freely given, we can be humble in our relationships, offering forgiveness, being strong, yet gentle. So not only is there critically important clarity about what the Christian message actually is, grace all the way. There's also encouragement about how God is working in all our lives. Even if you've got lots of questions and doubts, you would not be here if God was not working in your life. None of us did anything to make Easter morning happen. And yet, if we say yes to the grace of God in our lives, then a remarkable process starts happening, a, a process which will only be accomplished in the life to come. You see, it's very easy to think that our earthly life is the main act, where all the stuff that really matters happens. But it's not, it's the warm up. We live in a culture of instant gratification that has almost entirely lost its eternal perspective. The warm-up is not irrelevant, though, not only because it's filled with human beings and an earth that God loves, but also because it's what opens us up, or not, to the life to come. And all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. English professor C.S. Lewis grasped this. But what man, in his natural condition, has not got is spiritual life, the higher and different sort of life that exists in God. In reality, the difference between biological life and spiritual life is so important that I'm going to give them two distinct names. The biological sort which comes to us through nature and which, like everything else in nature, is always tending to run down and decay so that it can only be kept up by incessant subsidies from nature in the form of air, water, food, etc., It's called bios. The spiritual life which is in God from all eternity and which made the whole natural universe is zoe. Bios has, to be sure, a certain shadowy or symbolic resemblance to zoe, but only the sort of resemblance there is between a photo and a place or a statue and a man. A man who changed from having Bios to Zoe would have gone through as big a change as a statue which changed from being carved stone into being a real man. God is trying to do something beautiful here at St. Paul's Blur Street, taking people from every possible background, socioeconomic, racial age, and employment. And God offers each a like Grace, forgiveness, a new life that we couldn't possibly earn. And as we say yes to this grace, the Holy Spirit moves across our community, taking the most unqualified people, I'm unqualified, and giving us an enormous assignment to show the people in this city the path from a bios life to a zoe life, And that that path runs right through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The end of the quote from Lewis has this. And that is precisely what Christianity is about. This world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues and there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. Do you want to come to life for the first time or in a renewed way? Friends, Acts 15 tells us that this Zoe life is open to every single one of us, no matter the past, no matter the present, because the gospel for Jew and Gentile does not make bad people good. The gospel makes dead people alive. Let's pray. Lord, as your grace pours into our lives, let us come alive. In the name of Jesus, amen.